The space race with the Russians is unending, and NASA is now ready to launch a scientific mission with Apollo 18. However, recent intelligence may turn this scientific mission into a military mission. Houston, we have a problem. Mm. The author, Chris Hadfield. The book, The Apollo Murders. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Woo! <laughs> you know, Kari, since we're discussing a book about space, I wanted to know, have you ever wanted to be in space? Yeah, I mean, do you want to get one of them tickets and go to? You know, I don't. There's so much on ground, on the earth, on the terra <laughs> um, that I still want to touch. I, I don't oh, necessarily... Okay need that space life yet what about you I mean it looks really beautiful I know and so I also would decline what I love to do is go to the planetarium and just lay down and look at the stars I'd rather do that I don't need to be in the up next to them I don't I Mm -hmm. don't because to me that look a little scary and unnecessary you ever see gravity or the Martian movie yeah I think I saw the mark Mm, I don't know. Was Matthew McConaughey one of those? Oh, no, that's Interstellar. All of them. No, we can make them all one movie. They would make you. They made me not ever want to pursue such a career. The gravity literally made me nauseous. That's what Sandra Bullock and uh, George Clooney. Um, I should watch that. Yeah. And that director I like. But uh, yeah, we can watch it. Oh, we can watch it at my house on the projector. Turn off all the lights. Well, what about this? Do you know why NASA started? Oh, why did NASA begin? That's a great question. Um, I would say that nothing begins on a national level unless it's for money or political gain. So (laughs) I'm going to guess that there was some money to be had in the travel to space or another country, um, the Soviet country perhaps was um, <laughs> on the edge of getting there. And we was like, it was like the, the club that no one really wanted to go to <laughs> until somebody <laughs> wanted to go to it. And then you like, well, I can't be the second person at the club. I got to be the first person. All of NASA began <laughs> because of a petty competition. <laughs> Is that what happened? <laughs> With your comments, you're taking us right into the theme of the week. Okay. Ooh. Each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And this week's theme is just that, the birth of NASA. And Kari, you are not too far off base. Um, You make it sound real petty, (laughs) but I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to share it with you. And you've probably heard this before once I say it. The driving force behind the start of NASA was the launch of Sputnik. Oh, of course. On October 4th, 1957. Sputnik, Sputnik 1 is the first artificial Earth satellite. So it was launched by the Soviet Union on October 4th, as I said, and it was part of the Soviet space program. It orbited for about three weeks before it ran out of batteries. And then the satellite silently continued to orbit the planet 
for two months before it fell back into the atmosphere on January 4th of 1958. And then they launched Sputnik 2 on November 3rd, 1957. So they were like all in. They sent out one, they sent out two, and U.S. still had not put anything out. Mm. When did the um, U.S. send out the first satellite? Do you have any idea? Um, The 60s. Close. February of 1958, a satellite and an adapted rocket called the Explorer 1 on February 1st, 1958. So the satellite, it orbits the Earth. So it just goes around the Earth um, and then it collects information for communication. So I don't know if it's taking pictures, but it does collect information. So anyway, they were when Sputnik was launched, it was in the middle of the Cold War. And so the U.S. was like, challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be left behind. You know, the U.S. has already had satellite plans. I mean, they were failures, but plans <laughs> nonetheless do not take that away from them. They just didn't get there first. But the Russians launch of the Sputnik, it started the space age and it gave the United States like an urgency to found um, a national space agency. When Sputnik was launched, the U.S. moved quickly. They started having these Senate hearings, which led to the establishment of a Senate special committee on space and aeronautics in February of 58. And their goal was to establish a space agency. Then on March 5th of the same year, the House created the Select Committee on Aeronautics and Space Exploration. Meanwhile, President Eisenhower asked his science advisor to get going on something. Start something. Make it happen. We need an agency. So they all started mm-hmm. working together. And then by April 2nd of 1958, Eisenhower sent draft legislation to Congress establishing the National Aeronautics and Space Agency, later changing agency to administration. That Space Act of 1958 was signed into law by President Eisenhower on July 29, 1958, and NASA formally opened for business nearly a year after the launch of Sputnik 1 on October 1st, 1958. Hmm. So there you go. That was the start of NASA. NASA. Wow. The Space Act created um, some objectives. You know, you you create a business, you should have some goals, some objectives, (laughs) your reason for being. Well, they had eight. I'm going to tell you what the first three were. Okay. The expansion of human knowledge of phenomena in the atmosphere and space. That was number one. Two, the improvement of the usefulness, performance, speed, safety, and efficiency of aeronautical and space vehicles. And three, the development and operation of vehicles capable of carrying instruments, equipment, supplies, and living organisms through space. Now, what you suppose they mean by living organisms? You and me. They trying to put us on the moon. I mean, they had them goals in 1958. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Because they knew they was tearing the planet up. And they was like, what are we going to do when we ruin this house? Move to another house. <laughs> Tear that up too. <laughs> ah, so look, 
Now, those goals uh, were amended a lot of times, but they didn't change much. And so this information I got, I got from the NASA page. Um, it's pretty old. It's from, 19, from 2008. Well, anyway, they said in 1995, they added to goal one, the expansion of human knowledge of the earth. Mm-hmm. And then in 19... 19- 89, they added a ninth goal, and that was the preservation of the United States' preeminent position in aeronautics and space through research, technology, development related to associated manufacturing processes. So they got a big mission, you know, they got Mm -hmm. lots of goals that they're trying (laughs) to accomplish so that we could get out there and be walking around on Mars and the moon and whatnot, whatever. But who asked to do that, though? And so with them, and then you got other people like Elon Musk, and then there's another, is the Virgin guy, he's doing stuff too? Richard he wants Branson. us to go to space? Yeah, he's been, yeah. I think. Yeah, they've been. Yeah, so everybody <laughs> wants us to live out there, like you said, <laughs> ruin here, go somewhere else. But today's about pays on NASA says that the National Aeronautics and Space Administration is America's civil space program and the global leader in space exploration. NASA studies Earth, including its climate, our sun, and the solar system and beyond. They conduct research, testing, and development to advance aeronautics, including electric propulsion and supersonic flight. Um, companies use the NASA discoveries and technologies to create new products for the public. And they got a lot of um, visiting offices. Have you ever explored a NASA location? I feel like they my got parents Florida, may have taken me one. Alabama. Yeah. yeah, in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you think about it? Do you remember anything? Stand I out? just remember wanting to be in a zero gravity tank and not uh-huh. having the opportunity. And so I didn't care about anything else. <laughs> what about Wait, you? Were you spoiled? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had expectations. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, they got those things now where you can get, I think they're called zero gravity tanks. <laughs> this is an episode of The Office, but go ahead. Anyway, visit anytime to a NASA location. I myself, I got some free time, so I think I will be visiting one soon. Just so I can see. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's the theme of the week. That's the start of NASA. And as we dive into this book, we're going to hear a lot more about their stuff. So I found some cool things about Sputnik. Um, even though it didn't collect these like high definition photos, it did give us a glimpse into what pressurization should be for when people are sent into space, um, Mm. how, how orbiting really works. You know, it allowed them to test before the real test, which was putting human lives out there. Um, So they were able to study radio wave transmissions. um, And from Sputnik, we got the word beatnik. Nick was just used a lot as a suffix during the time. It has a little bit of a Yiddish origin, but then when Sputnik went into space, everything was Nick and Nick stuck, which is what you are. So that works (laughs) (laughs) on theme. (laughs) Full circle. I love it. Why don't we take a quick break before we jump into the author and context? Okay, let's do it. All right.
Harry. Mm-hmm. Harry. Now that we know a little bit about NASA, why don't you tell us a little bit about our author and maybe if you have context, share that with us as well. So have you heard of Chris Hadfield? You know, as the more I read about him, I am reminded about him. So I have heard about him. I think he's pretty popular. So yeah, I have heard of him. I didn't realize it when I got the book, though. Yeah, yeah. So me neither. He's 62 years old today. Um, and part of his fame is due to his um, performance of David Bowie's Space Oddity in right. 2013. Um, and if you just Google David Bowie Space Oddity and Chris Hadfield, you'll find that video. It lives on YouTube. Uh, he shot that while aboard the space station floating around above the world. And your view, Alexis, is one of the 50 million times it's been viewed. Yeah. Um, he, he is an astronaut full of personality. He's got a savvy way of navigating social media. So um, for a lot of people, he's the only astronaut that they've really even heard of, aside from the obvious um, uh, like Buzz Lightyear. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Excuse me, it's Buzz Aldrin. If you could please focus. Don't tell me. Um, so Chris was also the first Canadian to perform extravehicular activity in space. He's flown um, on two space shuttle missions and served as commander of the International Space Station. Prior to his career, though, as an astronaut, um, he served in the Canadian forces for 25 years. And then I think he was an astronaut for 10 years. Um so Hatfield has a social media presence with over 20, like 2.4 million Twitter followers as of like two years ago. So I think he has even more now. Um, he created one of the top Reddit Ask Me Anything threads. He's uh, maintained accounts on Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, and his son even collaborates with him to... Um, to keep up his social media presence. Um, But it's not just all so that people can look at him and look at what he's doing. During the darkest days of lockdown, according to one New York Times article, Hadfield emerged as like a go-to comforter of the afflicted. Why do you think that is? Why do you think during a COVID lockdown, people were turning to this ex-astronaut or retired astronaut? You know, I would think it's because he may be used to being in solitude. Mm. Yeah, you're right on. So he says a spaceship is like a pandemic to its wildest extremes. It's truly life or death. You can't ever go outside. You don't know how long this is going to last. Bad things can happen at any moment and you don't have any other company. So it makes sense when you think about it, why many turn to him for advice and he was eager to give it. Um, So thanks to the editors of the Apollo Murders, the book is slimmed down to now 480 pages. (laughs) It was supposed to be three times that. And when he got the edit back, he was like, y'all cut out a lot of things that's like essential to the storytelling, but I'm a roll with it. I get it. A writer and an editor have two separate jobs and they're both necessary. Thank Mm. you to those editors. According to to the New York Times feature, um, his wife says we saw too many people who had retired and floundered, which is true in any profession. But Mm -hmm. um, oh, end quote. But but seeing like um, astronauts, at least in movies, once they leave space, it's like, well, that was the highlight of my life. What do I do now? Um, So his wife continues. We've been talking about it for years. What makes someone happy? And one of the plans for our post astronaut life was that he would write a book. And I like the way she words that one of the plans for our life is that he would write a book. She's a very supportive woman. I love it. 
Yeah, her husband set out to write a golden age space thriller, but he didn't want to tamper with the past by putting real astronaut in fake situations um, or, you know, saying that someone who actually existed did this or did that, even though they didn't for the sake of the story, because someone might read it and believe that history, as we do with Michael Crichton books. Uh-huh. Um, so, so he chose to take a mission that didn't happen, Apollo 18, and present a scenario where it does happen. And what's more, it's a spy mission. <laughs> <laughs> he never wrote, written a book before. Um, he did research on like a uh, master class, reading Stephen King's uh, memoir. He read authors such as Dick Francis, John D. McDonald. Um, and he absorbed all of these stories and turned out his own story. So you don't have to go to school for a million years or take, um, uh, you know, get your graduates in creative writing to write fiction that is well received. He is currently had filled about 10K into <laughs> 10,000 words into his next novel. And he said it's going to start around um, the Yom Kippur War in 1973. And oh. so that's Chris Hatfield. Very interesting character. Very interesting. He also has a National Geographic um, program called One Strange Rock that he did with Will Smith. Mm. And then he served as um, mission control for 25 shuttle missions. What? Okay. So he yeah. was like the Kaz in our book. Yes. Directing those missions Kaz. from the ground. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's got... um. A TED Talk. Did you mention his TED Talk? Mm-mm, I no. love TED Talks, but he has a TED Talk. Something about how he, something about the loss of his vision or something. Oh, yeah. Now that I do know, he was on a, um, he was walking the moon, as one does, and temporarily <laughs> <laughs> lost his vision. His vision was impaired. I shouldn't say he lost his vision. There was nothing mechanical in his eye socket that stopped him, that threatened to, uh, take his vision for the rest of his life. It was more like he couldn't see, but you know, that happens on earth. You wash out your eye and you go sit down somewhere. He was on the moon walking around. So he really had to uh, rely on his cohorts um, to get through that. But yeah, he temporarily lost his vision, which I cannot imagine how terrifying that is in that setting. Right. Right. But what you right. seeing anyway, but there are like craters and holes out there. So, yeah, that's for real. That's serious. Mm-hmm. Real talk. Real talk. Well, that thank man has you. lived a life. He has a whole bunch mm-hmm. of them. Thank you for that introduction <laughs> yeah. to Chris Hadfield. I love to know it. <laughs> oh, you know, he also has like the best photography and videos, educational videos. It's just so much about him. We could go on and on. Yeah, he's translated his love of space into storytelling about that passion. And that's, it's really digestible, a lot of the content he creates. Um, And it shares his love with a a, novice world in a really uh, inspiring, inspiring way. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for sharing. Why don't you give us a brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive? Well, you know, I don't know what a synopsis is. So here we go. There you go. (laughs) What if a Cold War era Apollo 18 launched? And what if its crew contained a Soviet mole? And what if someone got shot? And what if people died? 
So, Alexis, uh, what were your first thoughts of the Apollo murders? You know, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I thought it'd be a good read. I mean, I like Star Trek and Star Wars. What would be different? <laughs> I get into that. What about? <laughs> Can I say that my thought was Agatha Christie in space? I was thinking <laughs> folks would be hiding behind planets, pew, pew, shooting. You know, it would be like a little gangster situation in space. Oh, because I'm not quite sure anyone was murdered in this book. But we'll get to that. Wait, <laughs> not in a homicide way, maybe in the manslaughter way. Who do you think would enjoy reading this book, Kari? I don't know. I would say maybe if you like that faux science in, again, a Michael Crichton book, but you want it to be a little more real. If you're in love with the details, if you're someone who reads, again, Michael Crichton, The Sphere, and you were like, this is the best book of all time, I think you'll love this. So if you love the minutiae of the science, but you want it to be real, actual science from someone that is actually um, scientist adjacent, then this is the book for you because it is really about the details. It is definitely about mm -hmm. the details. Well, Kari, are you ready to jump in and get into all the spoiler filled details of Apollo murders? Wait, are you spoiling um, this? I'm glad you mentioned that, Alexis, because I have chosen to only spoil this book mildly. Ooh. There are a few twists and turns um, that I will touch on. But as far as who did what to who and why at the end, Ooh. I am actually not going to spoil that. So if you know you're going to send us some hate mail like you did when we read um, <laughs> his other wife or his only wife. Oh, y'all was mad. Just Ooh. stop listening right now because we ain't going to we ain't going to spoil it. But there is a conversation at the end that we want y'all to be a part of. So I'm ready. Okay. All right. Let's get it. Part one. Most of these people are real and most of this actually happened. So that's the statement that this book starts with. And it lets you know that it is taking from real life events and adding a little seasoning on it. Uh, we follow through the book, mostly Kaz. And Kaz is never going to make it into space, but he's going to lead the mission from the ground. I'll tell you why. Kaz loves to fly. And without a wife or children, he's like married to his career. He does have like a fiance, you know, he begin his loving on, but he don't really be all about that in his life. His life is his career and his career is flight. And he wants to take that flight to the superlative degree and going on out with E.T. and them on the planets. Okay. <laughs> okay. That is okay. his purpose. However, as soon as we meet him at the beginning of the book, what is he doing, Alexis? Flying. Losing his whole eyeball to a seagull. Mm -hmm. His whole eyeball on a plane called the Phantom. Mm -hmm. So this is described really well. His work and dreams disappeared in a flurry of feathers. I love the way that's put. A flurry of feathers. He would no longer be considered for astronaut missions you have to have 20 vision. You got to have both your eyeballs. It took six surgeries to rebuild his eye socket and fit him for a false eye. He had a fiance at the time. He couldn't see life past this purpose without um, being able to serve as an astronaut. So his relationship ended. He kind of, he didn't become a loner, but he's a little, hmm, he's not the cast that he once was. We'll say that. Meanwhile, Nixon is president and he's reorganized the space department to partially be under the military's control. 
So if I could just interject here, Mm -hmm. there was a discussion why they were planning um, what to do with NASA to before its initial formation as to whether it should be under the military. Mm -hmm. Now, can we get a little conspiratorial? Just me and you, um, Alexis and readers. Ain't nothing going to be done without some money or political gain motivating it. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we just go to space to look at the earth and learn about the earth. You can learn about the earth right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to space just for exploration. Do with that what you will. Okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So Nixon was like, well, let's just be clear about it and put some of the NASA under the military. And everybody was like, ah, okay, maybe just a little bit. So Kaz, <laughs> yeah. Kaz is going to be pre- preparing the next astronaut team for their mission. No one wants another Apollo 13 situation. OK, and you don't want astronauts out there burned alive. You need someone you can trust. You need a team you can trust. And everybody on the ground and in the sky needs to be serious men or women um, who know what they're doing. OK, so Kaz is going to have to be diligent. So let's meet the team. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So first up. So we have three guys who are on this crew. Okay. First up is Tom Hoffman. He was a mission commander. He's a very serious guy, but you know, everyone loves him. All these guys are real lovable in their way. They get along really well. The second guy. So that's Tom Hoffman. The second guy is Luke Hemmings. Luke was a lunar uh, module pilot, once a Marine Corps captain. Okay. That's Luke. So now you got Tom and Luke. And finally you have Michael Isdale. Michael was a U.S. Navy test pilot and first black astronaut. Okay. He even named one of the uh, vessels for like the Tuskegee Airmen or something. So he's like from Chicago and stuff too. So his name's Michael. There we go. We meet these men during a simulation session. Okay, so let's leave the States for a second. We got our crew. We've met Kaz. What's going on to motivate all this activity in NASA? Well, let's go to Russia, but we're not going to their space program. We're going to make a detour at um, a priest door, priest's door, <laughs> um, now a hieromonk, whatever that means. I actually don't know what that means. And his name is Alarion, which I love. I hope I'm saying that right. Alarion. Mm-hmm. He's looking for his brother. With World War II, the U.S. instituted a program for American citizens to adopt orphans from Germany. And some of these orphans were Russian. Moved to a new country with new names. It was difficult for the birth families to locate these lost children after the war ended. So the idea of adopting these orphans sounds beautiful, right? But once the war ended and these families were reconnected, they wanted their children back. And it was really hard for them to find these children. This is true. A lot of them just didn't find them. And these children were assimilated and patriated. Um, The priest that we're um, with now is looking for his younger brother and feels he has failed his parents by not finding and caring for the boy. He's going through a list of orphans, making uh, marks with any that have the physical description of what his brother looked like at the time he was taken, uh, variations of his birth name. Um, But his brother is now an adult man living in America. Okay, now let's meet with the scientists. So we're back in the States (laughs) Um, and we're in a room with Kaz and he's uh, met the flight crew. 
But now he's meeting the scientists behind the mission because, you know, astronauts don't necessarily have to be studied um, scientists. Right. So in this room, they're talking about their findings and what they want this mission to how what success in this mission looks like. What will it find? What have they found already? Um, The biggest thing that you should know from this meeting is that there are holes on the moon and not the regular holes that look like pockmarks. They're like craters that look to be possibly man-made. And so far they found one. They will find others later. It is also in this meeting that Kaz meets Laura. Laura is a scientist. She's brilliant. She wants to go to the moon and she knows with um, the rights that women are getting in this country, she could be up next. So that is her goal to get to the moon. But if she doesn't get there, she's going to make sure that the crew that gets there has all the information they need. So she's behind the mission. 500 percent. Kaz falls in love with her brain. Uh, You know, she ain't a. hard to look at but we don't really talk about her (laughs) looks no not at all just how intelligent she is and as a geologist geologist she's a geologist right as a (laughs) geologist she has a potential to get in space because they're doing this scientific exploration mission Mm -hmm. and Kaz is um, just enamored of her passion for his passion. You know, they both love space in the same way. And she has developed the skills to be a scientist in the field. So he's like, can I get your number? Or, you know, here's my number. And then she don't say nothing. He like, well, can I get your number too? Dang. <laughs> and he's like, you know, if you love flying and stuff, we can go flying. I got a plane. It ain't even his plane. <laughs> like, but he's got permission to fly it. Somebody wants him to fly it. Yes. And he's like, I see you seeing me see you. So why don't you just come see me at my house and we'll go up in this plane. And there is a scene between them that we'll talk a- about this later. But I mean, as a first quote unquote date, to fly or have someone teach you to fly. I mean, having someone teach you to drive a stick is pretty cool on the first day. It is, it is. <laughs> it is. So I can only imagine what it's like to have someone assisting you with the skill of flight. Um, however, it's not a very romantic scene, even though it probably should be to the reader. We'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah, please. Okay. Maybe you disagree. I want to hear your thoughts. So let's go back to Russia. We're in Moscow. A seasoned spy is involved in a game of chess with America. He just found a key move in the newspaper. The spy sees a man in the paper and he knows now the spy knows his secret American source is now part of America's space program. The mole is possibly moonbound on the last man mission to the moon. Russia will be with this America mission now because they're, they're going to have their spy there. And the spy celebrates with a drink of vodka. So he like, oh, there go. What's his name in the paper? That's my mole. Yay. He going to the moon. That mean we all going to the moon. Yay. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> <For real> there, <laughs> though. 
Meanwhile, there's a woman on Russia's uh, space team. And like Laura, she's eager to fly into space. But unlike Laura, she's already poised for her first mission because the Soviet um, space crew is a bit more advanced in a lot of ways. And they already got a lady on the crew. And she's just discovered the key to man-initiated radioactivity in space. Now, why would you need to make something radioactive in space? Y'all know. Mm-hmm. Violence. Oh, uh-huh. okay. right, right, So right. <laughs> this is a cool part in the book where we find everyone has skin in the game, whether it be Michael, who has something to prove in a world that's tried to deny him. Remember, he's the first black astronaut or Kaz, who has something to prove because he's always wanted to go to space. And because of his eye, um, that goal has been snatched away from him. And then we have Laura and also this um, lady uh, crew member in, in Russia. And they both have something to prove for their gender. So everyone involved has skin in the game. Back to the States. Tom is in lunar landing a simulation. Remember, Tom's on the crew for the U.S. He's more than qualified. He boards his helicopter. Everything's going perfectly well. And then something goes terribly wrong. And his aircraft goes up in, in flames with Tom still strapped inside. Luke was the first to see the flames and smoke. They were only a month from launch. Tom is dead and a new member would need to be added from the backup crew. The politicians overseeing the mission. Y'all should see Alexis's face. Oh, yeah, because it's you telling it different. I, I mean, not different, but I'm hearing some stuff is coming to me now. OK, go. <laughs> Again, there are a lot of details in this book. And I know reading it for me, some things I had to keep and other things I had to throw away. Like what kind of scientist Laura is? Forget about it. I don't know. She's just a scientist. Okay. I'm sure it was described in detail to death. Okay. But I'm going to have to move on because I don't remember. And I've read this book twice. So there are things I picked up the second reading that I didn't notice the first. Um, So the politicians overseeing the mission. So this mission has the crew that's going to be actually in space. Then you have the engineers who will be on the ground among them, Kaz. And then you have the scientists who are leading the purpose of the mission. And of course, above all of them are the politicians making it happen for reasons they are and are not making clear to both everyone involved Mm -hmm. and the public. So the politicians overseeing the mission have yet to inform the U.S. space crew of why they're actually departing and what they'll be expected to do. They have a meeting with Kaz. Russia has eyes from space so sharp that they can watch the president entering his car. For the first time in history, the U.S. is sending a space crew for military activity. They must disable a Soviet ship hostily. Mm. The crew hears about this and they, we as astronauts, we ain't trying to be shooting in space. How do bullets even work in space? <laughs> like, what? This, this is not what I signed crew. up for. Michael's like, I could be shooting folks in Chicago. I ain't trying to be shooting folks in space. Not here for it. This is silly. Okay. From the backup crew, Chad is brought on board to replace Tom. He's a Midwest boy with a few sirs and ma'ams thrown in for effect. He even calls Michael boy a few times. Um, During a prep session, Chad begins asking Kaz about his heritage. Kaz is Lithuanian Jewish, non-practicing. So you're a Jew? This is Chad. That stands out to you, huh? And Kaz is like, 
<clears throat> have some cooth. Uh, yes. <laughs> have you ever been passed for opportunity? Oh, wait, that's not a Midwest accent. How do we talk in the Midwest? I don't uh, even know. Just speak. <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> if you just speak. I made him real Southern. Yeah. Just So he's speak. like, so ha- <laughs> mm-hmm. have you have you ever passed for opportunities because you're a Jew? <laughs> that's his accent. And so Kaz is like answering the questions politely, but he's like, mm, this is unsettling and slightly inappropriate. He makes a mental note to ask the crew how they're getting along with Chad. So the crash site where um, Tom went up in flames is still being investigated. However, an expert is brought in and he's determined it's probably, unfortunately, um, due to someone purposely loosening a bolt on Luke's helicopter. That means this situation has gone from an accident or um, Tom's, I said Luke's helicopter, I meant Tom's, or Tom being unprepared. Like Tom was really, he knew what he was doing. So they want to let his family know that it wasn't his fault. Um, So they've cleared that. It's not his fault. Tom knew what he was doing, but there was a bolt loose and it seems like someone did it on purpose. So this is either manslaughter or homicide, but why, dun, dun, dun. why would someone do that? Mm-hmm. Part two, the mole. So yeah, a lot of things happen that end up with the crew going to space. Chris Hatfield is an astronaut. So he's going to detail how they feel about going to space. Um, Chad is going to eat like a bunch of steak and eggs. And his <laughs> crew members are going to be like, yeah, don't do that. Because, you know, we go into space, right? You know, it's a lot of pressure involved. And he's like, I've never had a weak stomach. I won't have one now. Anyway, he throws up in his suit and he throws Ugh. up twice. First in a bag where it just has to be floating around. But then, and this is worse, when he gets his um, helmet on and his gear on, he throws up in that. And that's just got to float with you for a while. And you smelling oh. it and the crew smelling it. They're all flatulent first. And then he starts throwing up. So they smelling that and the vomit. And it's a scene. But they're like ready for it. They did tell Chad he didn't listen. He's a little headstrong. You know, he's the least liked of the crew. They're just going to let it roll. So um, this is very technical and beautiful. They even pause for a second to like take in the sunrise. And uh, Chris tries to uh, relay to us what that feeling is. Um, But I'll let you decide if he does a good job emoting. Anyway, uh, there's a problem. Luke suits up and steps outside to photograph the Soviet device. So remember, y'all, they supposed to kind of tear up this machine. <laughs> I don't know how they thought they was going to do it, but they was like, let's just tear it up a little bit. But before they do that, they're going to take some pictures of it, of course. But there's a problem. The Soviet device is manned. There are two people, two spacewalkers outside of it. Once the U.S. crew sees that, they're like, hmm, let's just get our pictures and go home. Everybody cool with that? <laughs> and so they're like, yep, got it. So Because they um, didn't want to do that stuff. No way. Anyway. OK, they're astronauts. OK. It's like um, the space crew, the Soviet space crew. It's like they've been waiting for the Americans. And so... <laughs> The bigger problem, which everyone realizes at the last minute, is that the Soviets did not send an unarmed vessel into space and cannons are launched. Medium spoilers. There's going to be some shots fired from the Soviet vessel. 
Those shots don't necessarily damage anything but the vessel itself. However, some shrapnel, isn't that how you say it? Shrapnel? Uh, Shrapnel. I just learned it wasn't scrap metal. Oh, Lord, please edit that out. Edit that out. (laughs) I want them to know. I don't know everything. So um, some shrapnel flies off one of the, I guess, bullets. Kills a Soviet uh, space crew member. And also, what, Alexis? Also an American space person. So remember Luke suited up to go take photographs outside? He did. Um, And this is really heartbreaking because for Michael, it's like, man, he lost his second crew member. Both Tom and Luke are dead now. It's just Michael and Chad. They go to close the door and Michael can't believe what he sees next. What's that? A hand, a hand. A human hand trying to hold the door open. It's really a gloved hand because mm-hmm. they oh, don't right. know if it's what it is. Yeah. Well, they they don't I mean, think it's an alien. <laughs> it's a gloved hand. They, they think it's, of course, a male astronaut. Oh, yeah, they do. They do think it's a male astronaut because remember, there were two spacewalkers space outside of the Soviet device. Well, it's not. It's that um, lady astronaut, the woman uh, that we spoke of earlier. That's kind of like Laura's counterpart in a lot of ways. Um, and she is trying to board their ship. Her, her vessel is damaged. Her crew uh, partner is dead and she has no other choice. So even though they just fired on this U.S. crew, she needs to get on their ship to survive. She's, you know, speaks mostly Russian. They don't speak any because they're American. Uh, So they only speak English. (laughs) True story. (laughs) And it's a moment where they have to decide, well, do we leave you out here to die or do we take you on board, even though you might be hostile? So they make a decision. I will not spoil that part. Also, remember that priest? Well, the Mm -hmm. Soviet uh, military is going to find him. And use him to talk to his brother who is on the ship. Mm-mm. And I think that's all I'm going to tell ya. What? Because oh, what do you think? I was thinking, how are you going to not say about the, the person getting on, you know, without going into detail, without telling more of the story. So now I get it. <laughs> you stopping. <laughs> So you have on the ship now Michael, the um, Soviet crew member, and Chad. Of these three people, one of them is basically a mole for the Soviets. It may not be who you think. And one of them is also brother to the Russian priest. Uh, Yeah. So that's it. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be some physical fighting, which imagine a fight in space is not as exciting as you might think. Because <laughs> the punches are going to be coming slow. They're going to be pushing each other far away. It's going to be a lot of delayed uh, contact. Uh, but remember, there are craters. So maybe somebody will try to push someone into a crater. I really don't know. You want to take a break? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Oh, 
spent some time talking off mic about should I continue? And you had some thoughts. Please share that. So I feel like this is just like the big, the middle of the book. I didn't. <laughs> Like you, this is a tip of the iceberg. It was like 69 chapters in this book. Like literally so much information. Um, But it's really the last fourth of the book where the action happens. How do you feel about that, Alexis? Because you did. got to the end of the book and you was like, the book just beginning. <laughs> the book was just beginning. I, that's exactly how I felt. The book was just beginning. I was like, when we go, just when I was thinking like, when we going to get to the action part? We was at the action. Is there going to, the to be part? a murder? <laughs> <laughs> I think a murder happened and, and you was ignoring the murder that happened. Tell me who was murdered. Tom. That don't feel like a murder. That then call it the Apollo um, casualties. (laughs) (laughs) You promised me murder, (laughs) so I totally agree with you on that. Because at some point in this book, while I was reading, I was like. But who was murdered? So I'm with mm-hmm. you there. That mm-hmm. happened to me. I was like confused. Wait, I had to think back and remember that, oh, yeah, he was murdered. But is it going to be some more murders? You know, like <laughs> when Agatha Christie, you got a murder and then a murder and then a and murder. And it's really clear. Oh, this person made plans to take someone else's life. That's murder. That's that's murder. It's, it's if murdering. I am just shooting into the air and one of the bullets accidentally hit um, Jacob. And, you know, Jacob gets shot in the leg. Did I shoot Jacob in the leg? My actions led to it. I should be held responsible. But it's not the same as your intent. You talking about intent. Exactly. And I feel like intent was lacking with every character throughout this book. Although they had skin in the game. What was their intention? There's a scene where this woman this brilliant woman is in a plane with a man who has not found love. His main love in life was flight. And he is just now starting to have the idea that his love could be something else because flight ain't going to happen. Not, not the way he wants it to. He falls in love with this woman's mind. That could be a story in itself, in itself. And I don't know if the editor took out all the guts from their story, but there was no, emotion there I was just reading facts about what they did <laughs> then they got in the plane then they was flying it was beautiful um then um she was like thanks for letting me fly and he was like you're the one flying and that was the that was it I, I was like but what about the feelings behind it this Christopher you are in love with your wife y'all been married for years years she takes your passions into her own heart she says things like what we wanted to do is for him to write a book. Where the love, Chris? Chris, where the love at? <laughs> I said, okay, they did that. And mm. I thought that was a lovely scene. I was like, oh, I could have got more out of it. And then Tom died. And I was like, well, I just barely differentiated between Tom and Michael and Michael Black. <laughs> so sorry for you, Tom, but I never knew you. I didn't really know you. It was like 10 chapters in by the time we started talking about Tom. So I, that was all there was to know 
Okay, it's 60 some chapters. The combat in space was so boring, y'all. I'm going to tell you, I do not care for it. When they was actually physically fighting, I said, what is this? Get back on the, get back on the shuttle and go home, everybody. No, no, that, I did appreciate that part. It was like, okay, please uh, tell me that, uh, you know, did you say shots fired? Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. so shots fired. He was like, you did that to me? <laughs> oh, so someone does shoot someone else with the actual gun, which I don't even know the dynamics of that in space. But in this story, um, after, you know, Luke dies and time passes, there is going to be a scene where someone actually shoots someone else in space. It is not exciting. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it was. That's the good part. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to discuss about this book? And it's long, yeah. And it feels long because everything happens in the last hundreds of pages. So it took a lot to get there. Um, yeah, what do you think, Alexis? Would you recommend this book? What's your final verdict? Okay, listen. Listen, I'm with you there for all the things. All the things, I'm with you. However, I mean, this is like, the version of Jurassic Park for astronauts, right? Because that technical information is there. It's just like he said they're getting on the ship and then he describes the ship. <laughs> he said mm-hmm. they're going out to space and then he describes space. He mm-hmm. says they about to do this and then he describes that. And like in <laughs> very, a lot of detail, a lot of detail. And it's like, did something happen? It's like flowery words. And you know, I hate flowery words. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, though. But this was very... Go ahead. Mm-hmm. It's not a lot of romance in his writing. It's very technical. Um, and by I, technical, I mean this led to this, which led to this. And, by, and then this happened and this and this. And by flowery words, I mean extra words. Yeah, and they're not flowery. It's just detail. Very minutia. The minutia of everything. Yeah, very technical. And so, you know, I was trying to decide if I like the book and I'm not I don't hate the book. I just am not in love with the book. I think I need to give the book another chance, though. I Can do. I tell y'all what we're feeling? <laughs> <laughs> That's a little bit of guilt. <laughs> because we're over here praising Michael Crichton for all this faux science. Dinosaurs. Okay, we we really fell in love with him. I've read four Michael Crichton books since then. Ain't love none of them like I love Jurassic Park. Okay. Hey, hey, get into it. And that's not real science. This man, Chris Hadfield, the author, is an actual astronaut. And so while we're so in love with and seduced by the fiction that Michael Crichton put up with, which y'all already know, uh, Alexis think he cute too. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. Chris Hadfield is giving us the truth. And we like, ah, give me dinosaurs. Can you put some dinosaurs in space? <laughs> that might save this book. So it's a little bit of guilt because we're like, he's giving us meat and potatoes. And we like, where the ice cream at, though? And, and in real life, it feels like that. It feels like, because I asked myself, but I really enjoyed Jurassic Park. And he had a lot of detail in there. And it was technical detail that I just ate up. 
There's also a, a skill of moving a story along. So you're serving us the medicine or the details that we need, the plot points that we need to understand within the story that we're getting wrapped up in. Um, and that that might not have been in this book. <laughs> we might be getting the medicine on a spoon in our face <laughs> and we like, mm, but can you wrap it up in something? <laughs> can, can you, you put, put some sugar ice in cream on it? You ain't got nothing? Just a little bit, please. So um, I, 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 I'm, I'm hard pressed not to recommend it. OK, I got to recommend it. I got to recommend it. I feel compelled. Between Chad, Luke, Michael and Tom, who did you like more? Do you even know who they are? I hated uh, Chad. She don't even I know had the fumble name. Okay. <laughs> so you didn't. What's your final verdict? You didn't like it. I, I didn't love it, but I also didn't hate it. Alexis, you got to read this book again in the next two days. How do you feel? Well, can I put it off to later? <laughs> I need some time. I need some time. I can't make a decision Alexis, about this like book the book because I want it's to fun. love it. I want to enjoy it. I want to. I kept trying to find a way to enjoy it. Okay. You ain't going to. But I will recommend it. I will recommend it. <laughs> to people you don't care much for. <laughs> no, because somebody is not like me and they will love it. <laughs> they will love it. This book is highly rated. It has really great reviews. People are saying it is one of the best of some genre. What genre? And Historical fiction? I don't know. I didn't bother to look further. <laughs> All I know is highly <laughs> People love it, girl. Hey, Kyrie, I don't know what to tell you. How do you feel about the book? Would you recommend it? Okay, so you want my verdict? I do not like this book and I would not recommend it. And... The main reason being that I don't know these characters. I don't feel connected to anyone in this book. Um, and although the science may be accurate to a point, this is a fictional book. It is not a science book. So it is not trying to teach me about space travel uh, or it shouldn't be. But I feel that's all it did. Uh, so if we're going to um, dive into the what 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 would happen if of it all, then I have to be inspired to go with you there, to go with you into this alternate history. And I'm not. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm fine. I'll just wait till you come back. <laughs> and and these things are so grandiose, um, so bigger than us that it I feel like it shouldn't be that hard to inspire a reader. And Obviously, it's not because a lot of people love this book, but it was not for me. Um, once Tom died and I didn't care, I was just it was just grueling to get to the end. And once the they got into a physical fight on the moon or wherever they was, I don't even know where they were. I was done. I was done. And when they came back home or some people came back home, I don't know. I won't spoil it. I was just like, fine. The investigation, I the investigation into um Tom's death. I thought that was interesting. I was following along with that. I was engaged. So they're gonna go to the mole's house to try to uncover who he really is, he or she really is, 
And what they find is the most underwhelming, confusing thing I've ever read in my life. I don't know if they found anything. Did they? I feel like they didn't even really find anything. They was like, he got tiger bed sheets, tiger bed sheets. They were like, he's tacky. He is tacky. They were like, ah, we found some information. What is it? He's tacky. He or she, he or she is tacky. And I was like, that'll make you a murderer. Don't come to my house. You'd be thinking I'm murdering folks. I'm just tacky. How does that fit? How does that relate, though? It don't relate. All right, let's end it here. Oh, is this your episode you hosting? Go ahead. I'm done talking about this book forever. Oh, hey, everybody. We have an autographed copy of Chad Hatfield's um, The Apollo Murders, which we scored from our local bookstore. Please, if you would like this book, should we have a giveaway contest? Absolutely. What we want people to do, follow us on Instagram. Yeah, follow us on Instagram. Why right, not? Go ahead, follow us on Instagram and DM us a message that says, I want that book. And you'll get it. <laughs> tell us why you want the book. How about that? Oh, yeah, tell us why you want it. Don't, because I don't want to read it. I don't read this. I don't want to read this book and I don't want to read anything <laughs> about this book. So do me a favor, because see, Alexis don't even manage the social media. Just DM us and say you want it. I'm going to put within a week everybody's names on a list and then I'll choose one name on that list using random.org so it's fair. Hey, family and friends, don't DM us. We're not giving you a book. <laughs> That's illegal. <laughs> so if you listen to this show and you want an autographed copy from an astronaut, an astronaut signed the book. And, you know, some people find it hard to go to sleep because of um, pandemic fatigue. Read this book. You'll be knocked (laughs) out forever. So please follow us on Instagram. Send us a DM. All you got to say is, I want that book. I'll contact you. Okay. If you win, I'll contact you. Listen, if you win, then tell us why you want. I would like to know why you want the book. It would help me. Why you want it? I don't care if you're gonna sell it on eBay. I'll give it to you. Oh, but also that you <laughs> that don't have to tell. Business. Don't tell us then. Forget it, because you might want to do that. <laughs> that ain't my business. I get to you. It's all well, good. <laughs> Kari, what are we reading next week? Next week's is a wild card episode. We're gonna have a special guest on, and we're gonna discuss for National Poetry Month, although that's technically just in April, song lyrics and musical storytelling. So again, the theme is song lyrics and musical storytelling with, as of right now, a special guest. And that's next week's episode in honor of April's uh, National Poetry Month, although it's going to be released in May. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by me, Alexis Honoria, and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We love you too. We love you. If you're listening over on Spotify, be sure to give us a five-star rating as well. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read something. Read something.